0: Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at Rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, my name is Joe and uh, there's nothing like a hype man to really set you up than for all of you to be disappointed <laughs> afterwards. So thank you for that, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. If, uh, if Chris looks a little different, uh, I don't know if this is okay to say or not, if he looks a little different today, it's because yesterday he got engaged. What? Whoa. Way to go, Chris. And he is marrying way up. Um, which was going to happen no matter what, right? Like, no matter what, he was going to marry way up. And I I told his bride-to-be that yesterday is the happiest she will ever be the rest of her life. (laughs) Chris has many happy days ahead of him, but Tori, on the other hand, not so much. Well, while we were worshiping this morning, um, I—and this has nothing to do with my message. This is just an aside thing, but— I, I had this real strong sense of how great it is uh, to be worshiping together with our family today, to be together as a family. And as I look out over the room, I see some of you that I think of as family. It's great to see you right there on that front row. You just Some people you know, and you see in church, and they feel when you see them, it feels like a warm hug. That's Good to see you right there so so it's just great to be together as family and that's really what the church is we've we've sat across from one another and prayed for one another and loved one another and been there for each other and over and over and over again the Bible says um, that we're to even put up with one another, which is maybe sometimes the hardest part for us, but it's just such a great thing to be part of God's family. The, the Bible says this in, in Ephesians 4, referring to the church, God's family, as his body. It says from him, in Ephesians 4, 16, the whole body, the church, is joined and held together. And when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And we come together and and do our part as the body of Christ in serving each other and loving each other and having an encouraging words, Sometimes the greatest thing you can do is just sit across from another person and say, I, I don't know how, but it's going to be all right. Or I don't know what to do, but I'll pray for you. And all of those things, as we build one another up, we're being God's family, the body of Christ. And that's just a wonderful thing to me. So that has nothing to do with my message. But I do want to do a little Bible study with you this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, I am going to invite you to turn to the book of Acts Acts chapter 1 is where we'll be. And the book of Acts is really a history book. It was written by a man named Luke, the same man who wrote the book called Luke, which is really just a, an account of the life and ministry of Jesus. And this man, Luke, he's a doctor and uh, very into the details. And so he writes for us this history, this account of the acts or the activities of the apostles, those men that Jesus had first called to follow him, and then after he rose from the dead, he gave them his message of salvation for all the world, and they then carried it out. And the book of Acts is the account of how many of them did that, and even others beside those 12 who first followed him, how they carried the message of Jesus around the known world at that time as well. But here's what I wanna do. I just wanna read a little bit through the first eight verses of this chapter. And as I go, I'll stop and say some things along the way. So, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, we'll put the words up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. It says this In the first book, O Theophilus, now just real quick, this Theophilus, it, this is the, who the book is addressed to. Now, there are some scholars who say that Theophilus, since the word, the name means lover of God, there are some scholars who suggest that this is being written to anyone who loves God. If you're a lover of God, I'm writing this letter to you. There are other scholars who suggest that that would be a very odd way to address a letter in the first century. So it's likely that this Theophilus, which gives me great pleasure to say that name, is a real person. In fact, the book of Luke is addressed to Theophilus as well. He's refers to him as the most excellent Theophilus. What a title that is to have. And so Theophilus, his excellency, is a man that Luke writes to, and he says, I have dealt in the first book, the book of Luke, with all that Jesus began to do and teach. I told you about his life. I told you about his teachings. Until the day when he was taken up into heaven, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And he presented himself alive to them after his suffering, By many proofs, he proved to them that he'd actually been raised from the dead and appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. What is this promise from the Father? God, the Father made a promise that Jesus is referring to? Yes, and he says what that is in verse five. He says, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized or you will be immersed in or you will be overwhelmed by God's Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And I just wanna take a real quick aside here that doesn't have much to do with the major thrust of my message. But I wanna say this, that when they ask him, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What they're saying is, are you going to restore us, your chosen people, the, the Israelites, as the rulers of this land? See, for centuries, the Israelites had been subjugated by other nations. Since 500-something BC, they'd been conquered by other nations. Now, the land of Israel is situated in what is known as the Fertile Crescent. It's a stretch of land that goes from Uh, modern-day Israel, up into Syria, around and down into Iraq, all the way down to the Arabian Sea. And it's called the Fertile Crescent because in this part of the land, grass actually grows. (laughs) You can actually plant crops, and much of the rest of the Middle East is desert, And so if you're wanting to survive, if you're wanting to plant crops, if you're wanting to feed your crops, you have to build cities near where there are places where you can plant them. And so control in the ancient world of the Fertile Crescent was very important, particularly the rich and wonderful land of Israel. Now, they'd been subjugated over and over and over multiple times by, by many conquering armies and this is the land that God had promised to them, which just is a really cool thing that God promised to them, this very rich and fertile land that would be their own to have. But over time, as they began to distance themselves from God's commands, he began to allow other nations to come and, and take them captive. And at this time, they're in captivity to the Roman Empire, which at that time was the largest and most powerful empire to ever exist. And they're under the thumb and the boot of the Romans, and they believed for centuries that God would send to them a man who God had chosen and specifically gifted to set them free. They called this man the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, this one that God had chosen to make all things new and to make all things right. And they believed that that's who Jesus was. And when Jesus... Raises from the dead. They are now certain that he is this Messiah that they'd hoped for. And they come to him now just before he's getting ready to ascend back into heaven. And they say to him, before you go, are you going to do that thing we've been waiting for? Uh, Are are you going to restore to us, your chosen people, the rulership over this land that you've promised us? Because I don't know if you've checked lately, Jesus, but we're still paying taxes to the Romans. And he says to them in verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Basically, they say, Jesus, are you going to make things right? And he says, I can't tell you. (laughs) I can't tell you. And, and, And here's why. Because they were looking at it from a completely natural and practical point of view. Jesus says, you want a type of deliverance that my kingdom is not necessarily of. Jesus had told them and he told even the Roman authorities who believed that he was threatening to overthrow them. He said to them, my kingdom is not of this world. That which you're hoping for is a tangible change. Jesus says the change I'm going to do is a supernatural inside change on each person whereby God places his Holy Spirit in us and makes us new people. So it's no longer us clamoring for our own rulership over our land. It's now God getting rulership in us as his people that this promise is. And he says, but you will receive power in verse eight. You'll receive power, not power to overthrow the Romans, but power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and this power will help you be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Jerusalem is the capital of that part of the, of the land of Israel. And it's where they would go to worship God. It's where the temple existed. In fact, they believed that God's house was in Jerusalem. His address was on a street in Jerusalem is how they believed it. And he says, you're going to be my witnesses. This power that I'm giving to you is to is to witness or be my mouthpiece in Jerusalem. And in Judea, which is the surrounding countryside into Samaria which was a neighboring territory full of people that the Jews hated and who hated the Jews. Jesus says you're going to go there and be my mouthpiece and even to the ends of the earth which is such an interesting thing to me because the people who lived in the ends of the earth were considered unclean and unholy to the Jewish people and it's those people from the ends of the earth who'd been subjugating the Jews for so long. Jesus says, you're going to go to them and be my mouthpiece even. Now, I, I, I want to focus in on this, that, that he called them to be his mouthpieces, his witnesses. And, and consider for a moment what that word really means, witness. Now, for us in our culture, a witness is someone who's called to testify in a court of law. And for them at that time, it was the same thing. Now, for us, a witness is typically a person who's called on the behalf of the defense or on behalf of the prosecution. But in that time, the witness was the person who was being prosecuted. And they had to testify themselves as to the truth. And for them, their act of being a witness in the court of law had the truth hanging in the balance so that the jury then decided, based on their words, whether what they said was true or what they said was false, and their life were, was at stake many times. Jesus gives them this picture. You're going to be my witnesses, and as my mouthpiece, the world will place you on trial to determine whether or not the things you have to say are true or are they false. This is the call that he made to them. And what is it that they're witnesses of? What is it that they're a mouthpiece to? Well, it's that he raised from the dead. This is what they were to witness of, that they saw Jesus who was crucified in the open. It was not a thing that people didn't know about. They knew that this revolutionary named Jesus had been executed by the Romans in public. These men had seen him come back to life. Many women had seen him come back to life. And Jesus says, you now are going to take that knowledge that you have of me standing before you as a person who rose from the dead and tell people who I really am. I'm the one that God has sent to make all things new. I'm the one that God has sent to change people's lives. And the proof of that is that I've risen from the dead. Now for you and I, who were not eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, although some of you look old enough to have been, Oh, talking about you, Jeff. Whoa, whoa. Just, oh. He, guys, he's mean to me all the time up here. I get one chance and every, everybody scowls at me. No, we weren't there. We weren't eyewitnesses of his resurrection. So now, how are we to participate in this activity of being his witnesses, of being a mouthpiece to the resurrection of Jesus? Well, I'll tell you this, though, I haven't seen Jesus with my eyes and I haven't touched him with my physical hands because he is alive in me. And I know those of you who have had the same experience where he lives in you and you just know it through faith that Christ lives in you because he's alive in me. I too am now a witness of his resurrection. How do I know Jesus raised from the dead? Because he's alive in me. He's alive in you. And because of that, We get to be his witnesses. Now, what does this mean for us, that we get to be his witnesses and mouthpieces? Well, I'll say this. It doesn't mean that all of us are prophets and all of us are evangelists. what I mean by that is this. There there are certain people that God has gifted. The Bible would refer to them as prophets and prophetesses, as, as people that God will actually speak to, special information. And sometimes what that looks like is that person will come to you and say, hey, I was praying for you. And God started saying this to me, I think, and, and I, I felt like I needed to tell you that. I can't tell you how many times there have been people who've come to me with that very thing, and I I say to them, have, have you been following me around everywhere I go? Have you been reading my mail? Have you been in my life? Are you stalking me? How do you know that thing about me? And it's not that they've been stalking me. Here's what it is, is that God spoke to them. The beautiful thing about that sort of thing it. Is When that happens for me, is it reminds me, wow, God was thinking of me so much, he told somebody else something about me. I was on his mind in such a way that he wanted to talk to somebody else about me. There are some people in the church, in our church even, who are gifted in that way. Not all of us have that gift. And just so you know, if you come to me with that thing, I test it out first. <laughs> and see if it's real. Not all of us are evangelists. Evangelist is described as someone who who carries the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus to other people. Now, in a very real sense, we're all to do this thing, right? We're all to be witnesses to the fact that Jesus is alive in us. But not all of us are gifted to do it in such a way that it is second nature to us. Not all of us are gifted in such a way that is so easy to us, we're actually able to teach other people how to do that very thing. God has placed some people in the church, Ephesians 4, 11 says, to do those things. He's placed some people as pastors. Some people are gifted as teachers of the Bible. Some are prophets, and some are evangelists. And I think the key word in that verse is he gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He gave some. If he gave all of us all of those gifts, we would not need one another. And that verse about the body working together to build itself up wouldn't matter. We need to need each other. And some of us have gifts that others don't. And that's really okay. It's the way God has, has ordained it to be. And it's a beautiful thing to see his body and his family working together in that way. Not all of us are called to be prophets and evangelists, but all of us are called and chosen by Jesus to be his witnesses we get to be his witnesses. It's a privilege that we get to tell others and testify to others that God, that Jesus is alive in me. So the real question I have when I, when I read this is, why does he need me to be his witness? Why does he need me to do that? Couldn't he just open up the sky and appear and say, I'm Jesus, <laughs> I'm I'm ruling over all of creation. I I hold all things together with my words. Couldn't he just open up the sky? Couldn't he just appear to people? While they're sitting in their car driving along, bam, there's Jesus, turn your life around. <laughs> See, to cause accidents, that's why he doesn't do that. But but couldn't he just do that? Of course, he could do that. He's all-powerful. He can do anything that he wants to. He could do those things, but he chooses not to because he wants to use you and I. And the crazy thing about that is that most of us are pretty ordinary. We fantasize in our culture about people who are extraordinary. The Marvel movies are some of the highest-grossing films of all time, and it's all about people who have extraordinary capabilities that none of us can ascend to. My favorite superhero is Batman because he's just a regular guy. I mean, he's a billionaire, right? But like he has no special powers. So all of his power had to come from buying stuff. Like he has no special power. We fantasize about people who are, have special powers and we want to be like that. We want to be superhuman. God just uses ordinary people because honestly, that's all he has to work with. We're all just ordinary, regular people, some more ordinary and strange than others. Stop looking at me, Brad. Some, are, some of us are waiting for God to come along and say, it's time for you to be my witness. But the fact that he has rescued us from our sin and placed us into his family placed his Holy Spirit within us, changed our hearts, made us his own. The fact that he's alive in me means that he's already said, I, I'm, I'm ready for you to be my witness. We're waiting for him to come along and say something to us, but he's already said it here. Sometimes we fail though, don't we? Sometimes we misrepresent him. Because here's the thing, we're, we're being his witnesses, whether we're trying hard to do it in a good way or we're not trying at all and we misrepresent him. We're his witnesses. It's, it's just who we are. So, so when people see us that, and they know that he's alive in us, they see a witness of Jesus Christ's resurrection from the dead. And what they see in me will determine what they believe about the risen Jesus. If they see a person who's always crabby and rude and just terrible, that when, other people, when he, he comes into the room, other people go, here's Joe. That's what they'll see of Jesus. If they see a person who, who has joy and who has peace and who shows love and who is kind and who's willing to tell the truth. And, and if they see a person who's that way, that's what they'll see about Jesus. That this is who Jesus is because we're his witnesses, whether we're trying to be or not. And sometimes we fail. Sometimes We misrepresent him. The awesome thing about that is God isn't keeping score. He's not looking at us and saying, oh, you really failed that time. I'm going to give you one more opportunity to to show my goodness to people. Then after that, if you've blown it, that's it. He doesn't do that. He's not keeping score. And guess what else? Sometimes we succeed at it. Sometimes we do a good job at at witnessing to the truth of who Jesus is is sometimes we're actually able to show people that Jesus is a person who is full of grace. Sometimes we're actually able to do that. So what part is it that we can play? How do we succeed in being his witness? Well, primarily I think it's with our words, and we have to understand how important our words are. The Bible says that death and life are in the power of our tongue. We have the power with our words to build someone up or tear someone down. Down Our words are incredibly powerful and we must be intentional with them, especially when we're, we're in a place with people who may not believe in Jesus and we want them to understand who he is and how much he loves. We have to be careful with our words and make sure that they understand that he's a person who's full of grace. I can tell you that words matter in all circumstances. And, and the way that that stands out to me the most is when I think about the day before my wedding, um, my wife and I had decided that um, we were going to travel. Instead of a cake for our wedding, we got donuts. And uh, from this place in Bloomington called Denny's Donuts, it's amazing. If you ever drive through, straight through on 51, it's there. Stop. It's a dingy old cafe, but their donuts are amazing. And that's where we wanted to get our donuts from. And so we decided we were going to take one little out of town trip together, our last little trip as an engaged couple. To Denny's Donuts and pick up donuts on the day before the wedding, and so we do that, and we're driving to Bloomington, and we start to talk about the plans of the next day. Because in the beginning, I told my wife, "Now I can be really involved in the wedding, or I can be completely hands off. I can't, I can't be in the middle." <laughs> I got to be real hands-on or I got to be real hands-off. I, I, I can't be one foot in, one foot out. Well, we tried it both ways. And after a while, we realized it was most comfortable for her if I was just not involved in the planning <laughs> of the wedding. And so a couple of months had gone by, and I didn't really know anything that was going on. So this was my time to figure out, okay, what's on the schedule of this? And she begins to tell me some of the things. And I start to have questions about our time frame. Well, it doesn't make any sense to me why we would do that there, but all this stuff. And I say these most powerful words to my soon-to-be bride. Well, if I'd been involved, <laughs> I don't even have to finish the sentence. You know, uh, you know what I say next. I almost didn't get married, Joey. I, that, al- that almost did me in because I said those things. And, and, and I didn't feel any contempt towards her I didn't feel any contempt for the schedule. I didn't feel like our whole life was falling apart. But in that moment, I was frustrated by something that bothered me. And I simply said what I thought to be true. (laughs) And it was a quiet ride home. And she saw her father right afterwards and said to him, I don't think I want to get married. After all, we are married, so thank God that... He came through and covered up my mistake there. But our words are incredibly powerful. And the way that we choose them when we're speaking to others makes all the difference. And we can make comments that we think don't really matter that much to another person. And we can be flippant with the things that we say. And oh my gosh, it is so, I can't tell you how many times I've done that. talk is really cheap though isn't it like we can on, in the inverse we can say all the right things but if we don't back it up with our behavior instantly the things we have to say are written off by the people and uh, we play a part as his witness in showing who Jesus is with the way that we live with our behavior with our lifestyles again whether good or bad our lifestyle our behavior the way we treat other people is a witness to the fact that Jesus is alive. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 16, that you will know people, whether they're his or not, by their fruits. And what what does he mean by that? He means this, that, that our actions, our behaviors are like fruit growing on a tree. Oftentimes throughout the Bible, people are likened to plants and trees. And Jesus says, your behaviors, your actions, your words are like the fruit that grow on a tree. And a tree that's healthy and good will produce robust and juicy and good and delicious and healthy fruit that other people want to partake of. But a tree that is unhealthy and withering will produce fruit that nobody wants any." part of, Jesus said, you'll know whether or not people belong to me by their fruit, by their behavior, by the way that they live. So I've got plenty of examples of how I've really screwed this whole thing up with my words and with my hate behavior. But I also have some examples of having done this right a few times, too. Uh, Believe it or not, I I have actually succeeded in this, and I just want to tell you a a little bit about how that has worked for me in a way to maybe encourage you in your context as well. Now, I'll I'll start by saying this. I've been involved in church leadership for 15 years now, Uh, but most of that time I was not employed as a full-time employee of the church. Most of that time I actually had a full-time job outside of the church. And inevitably, wherever I've worked, it's always come up somehow that I am a follower of Jesus. Now, I'll tell you this, that that in every job I've worked in, I have never marched in on the first day and said, I want you to know that I believe in Jesus Christ. Please don't cuss around me. (laughs) I would highly recommend that you never do that, by the way. But somehow or another, it's always come out. Most of the time when people would say things like, what do you got going on this weekend, Joe? Well, I usually go to church and people will be like, oh, tell me a little bit about that. And when they find out that, you know, you're somehow in church leadership or whatever, most of the time it's like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry for all the things I've said around you. And I'm usually like, I swear to you, I don't care. I promise. In fact, I don't want you to change your behavior because of me. And this is where I think many of us get it wrong because we want people to change their behavior because of who we are. When in fact, a person should only ever change their behavior because of what Jesus has done in them. I don't want the way that, I don't want you to think you have to live a different way around me because we're different. I want Jesus to be alive in you and I'm willing to hear anything you have to say in order to get an open door to be able to share that with you. So I never went in, guns blazing, gospel guns blazing with people. Bam, bam, bam. Let me tell you about Jesus. But I, I tried to subtly be there for people. And I can't tell you how many times I've got former coworkers who still will call me, who they, they don't have, they haven't darkened the door of a church, but they will call me and say, Hey, Joe, will you pray for me in this? Because they know I know the one who can handle it. Now, one day, will they follow Jesus? Maybe, maybe I'm still not going to force it down their throat. What I'm saying is this, that there are subtle ways that we can share the truth of who Jesus is with people without being obnoxious, without being offensive, without being hurtful to people in a way that, that we can actually seem like we're understanding, in a way that we actually seem like we care about people even if they never became a Christian. A lot of times... I've observed in our attempt to be witnesses, and this is a sincere thing, I I think, but in our attempt to be good witnesses of Jesus, what we'll do is befriend people who are, are not followers of Jesus for the sake of turning them into a follower of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I think that's a good thing, but I'm saying this as well. Sometimes it's okay just to befriend people because you want to make good friends with them. And then off of your friendship, maybe one day they'll become a follower of Jesus. And can I tell you, that's a beautiful thing to know that you played a minuscule part in that. No matter what we do, though, we are his witnesses. Whether we're trying real hard or we're not, we're his witnesses. And when we focus on who Jesus is, a person full of grace, and we let that guide the way we interact with other people. That how do I want people to see Jesus? I, I want them to know he's a person who's full of grace. And so if we live that way, it becomes much easier for people to want to follow him. The word witness in Acts 1.8 is a Greek word that actually has become an English word now. It doesn't mean the same thing that it meant them. In our language, it means something completely different. And In that time, for them, it meant a person who was called to testify on their own behalf before a court of law. For us now, this Greek word that we use in our language, the word is martyr, means someone who is persecuted and maybe even killed because of their faith. The picture that Jesus is giving us, because we know he knows the future, right? We know that he knew that this is what the word would become. We know that he knew it would be costly one day for them to be his witnesses. In fact, we see it. You turn the page, just a few pages in the book of Acts, and there's a man named Stephen who is stoned to death. People picked up stones and threw them at him until he died because of his faith in Jesus. All throughout the rest of the book of Acts, we see this over and over and over again where people are arrested and beaten and persecuted because they were witnesses of Jesus. And this word has now come to mean a person who is sometimes harmed and even killed for their faith. What Jesus is saying is this, is that to be my witness is a costly thing. Now, all over the world, there are people who actually lose their lives at the hands of the government even, because of their faith in Jesus. I'm very thankful we can gather today, and we're not worried about somebody bursting in from the ATF or whatever to take away our Bibles. I'm very thankful that we have that opportunity. So in what way is it costly for us? Because for everyone, cost is relative, right? For us, it is costly in the sense I believe as people who are privileged enough to not have to worry about whether or not we can worship in peace, the cost for us is sometimes just getting over ourselves. Just getting over ourselves and seeing other people as as worthy enough to serve them, seeing other people as made in the image of God enough to love them, seeing other people as Jesus sees them as someone who is worth his love and his grace and his mercy. But we get so focused on ourselves and the cost for us, I believe, is to taking our eyes off ourselves and putting them on Jesus and other people. Jesus said to them, you'll go from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, even to the people who have been persecuting you and subjugating you and attempting to rule over you and have been ruining your lives for centuries, I'm going to send you back to them. All throughout their history, there's this longing and waiting for the Jewish people to get back to Jerusalem, and to have rule over their land again. And when Jesus, the one they believed would restore that to them, comes, he says, nope, we're not staying here. <laughs> we're going out. We're going out to the ends of the earth. We're going to the ones who've made our lives uncomfortable. Sometimes for us, the cost is simply willing to be, being willing to embrace uncomfortable moments for the sake of other people, laying aside my own opinions. And I got opinions, strong ones. I'd be happy to tell them to you over a cup of coffee sometime if you ever wanted to hear them. But you know where the place for my opinions is not? When I'm desiring to witness to the truth of the risen Christ, Jesus. Would you pray with me, Lord? We're so thankful that you have given us this privilege of being your witnesses of being people who are welcomed into this wonderful partnership with you whereby we get to be your mouthpiece we get to be your spokespeople Lord we get to be your ambassadors we get to show people who you are and for that I'm really thankful that you've given us this privilege but Lord I also see before us today the challenge of it as well The the seriousness of it, the sobriety of that sort of responsibility. So Lord, I pray that, that you would cause all of us who are here and anyone listening online that you would fill us with your spirit as you promised to the apostles. That the power from your Holy Spirit would give us the capability to do this. Lord, it's not in our own strength. It's not in our own might. It's not in our own power, but it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that you delight in using us in this way that we might proclaim your voice to other people. We love you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you.